Welcome to Sound Solutions, a series of free audio tapes produced by Braille Institute of America. The tape you are listening to and all the others in the series provide practical information to adults and their families who are dealing with sight loss. The professional staff and many of the students at Braille Institute collaborated to provide the information, tips, and practical solutions to living life independently in spite of sight loss. For this tape, we have used a radio news magazine format. The stories presented are fictional, but the situations can apply to anyone. As you listen to Back in the Swing of Things, think about the ways you can apply the ideas that are presented. Remember that the goal is to discover ways to live life as independently as possible. We know you can do it. You've been listening to World Music Garage here on USPR, United States Public Radio. Only four days left in our subscription drive. Become a member today, and you're automatically entered in our Tahiti sweepstakes. Next up, our award-winning news magazine show, Open Topics. Stay tuned to USPR, United States Public Radio. This is Open Topics. I'm Noah Jefferson. And I'm David Clare. Today on Open Topics, a special report. Back in the swing of things, leisure activities for the blind. Dining, dancing, travel, hobbies and crafts, playing games, going to movies or plays. To the sighted majority of us, these seem like normal, everyday pastimes. But to the people who experience vision loss, they can pose extreme challenges. Many people think that without sight, these activities are lost to them forever. Today, we'll meet a number of people who have reclaimed their favorite pastimes and even found new ones. We'll learn when a dinner plate is like a clock. With the meat at 6, the potatoes at 10, and the vegetables at 2, for example, one can actually navigate it rather easily. We'll meet an unusual travel group touring New York. Bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And I thought, well, my gosh, that's just what we're doing. Get a no-nonsense lesson in crafts. And that image, the poor old blind woman who can't do anything but sit in the corner weaving baskets or whatever, is not an image I was comfortable with. And revisit a classic movie like you've never heard it before. All boats from brick, all boats from brick. Make them look good. This is the first time they've seen PT boats. In unison, the PT boats cut a hard turn to starboard. Arcs of water fan out to their port sides. All this plus author Haley Wright, today on Back in the Swing of Things, a special report on USPR's Open Topics. First up, a woman who not only turned her hobbies into a business, but into kind of a therapy as well. For herself, for her customers, and for her community. From member station KGGN in Albuquerque, reporter Leslie Strobel has the story. Oh, that's good, Harvey. But this last row isn't quite straight. Louise Rumson is teaching her students the basics of making mosaics. This is her fourth class this week. The classes that meet here in Louise's craft and hobby shop is a familiar scene, one repeated in schools or classes around the world. But there is one notable difference between this and most other classes. Louise is blind. I was a pilot. Even as a kid, I was fascinated by flying. I had big dreams about being the first woman fighter pilot. I was going to win some huge battle and have a ticker tape parade and a junior high named after me. (laughs) Guess I was ahead of my time. Oh, I learned to fly all right, but in those days, no one wanted to know from a woman fighter pilot. The only job I could get as a pilot was for the postal service. I flew what they called relay routes all over the Midwest for years and years. 
It wasn't the glamorous life of a fighter pilot, but, hey, I was flying. Seems like quite a leap from pilot to crafts teacher. Never say leap to a pilot, honey. (laughs) No, you see, when I was a kid, my mom was concerned about my being so caught up in flying. You know, that whole tomboy thing, but my heart was always 10,000 feet up. Okay, so you're flying for the Postal Service, bouncing around the country, fulfilling your dream. What happened? Well, honey, I'll tell you. One day I was out on the airstrip, getting the plane ready to do the Indiana to Nebraska run. I went around to pull the chucks, the cement blocks that go in front of the wheels to keep the plane from rolling. I bent over and pulled away the first one, stood up, and couldn't see. Boom, bada bing, just like that, detached retinas. Oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, it happens that way sometimes. No reason, no explanation, nothing I could have done differently. Just boom, gone. Nowadays, of course, they can often reattach them and save the person's sight, but in those days it was good night, nurse. For your whole life to change so drastically and well and just to You were gonna say in the blink of an eye, weren't you? That's okay, honey. I don't mind. Yeah, of course. That meant my flying days were over. I I figured my life was over. That lasted for about a week. A week? I've heard stories of people who went through months and years of depression and seclusion when they lost their sight. Yeah, well, that's just not my way. I've never been one to dwell on the bad stuff. Like years before, being a fighter pilot was all I ever wanted. But when I found out it wasn't going to happen... Well, I wasn't about to just stop living. This was kind of the same thing. It was no picnic, but I couldn't stand just sitting there in the dark. So how did you get from there to here? Well, after sitting around for a while feeling pretty sorry for myself, I finally said to myself, Louise, honey, it's time to dust off that old gumby gumption of yours. Time to stop thinking about what you can't do and start learning about what you can do. So through my doctor, I got in touch with an O&M teacher up in Albuquerque. O&M? Orientation and Mobility. Bob was my teacher's name, and he was great. He taught me how to use my white cane, how to navigate around my house, how to get to the store. He also set me up with a Braille teacher. I spent the next year or so learning the skills I needed to keep from being a total shut-in. And that included the craft. I'm getting there, honey. I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things Bob told me was that doing some sort of handy, crafty thing would be good for me. Helps keep the dexterity up, good for concentration, stuff like that. So for the first time since I was a little girl... I picked up some knitting needles. Was that strange? Well, it's funny, you know, I resisted it at first, but after a while I took to it. I also started doing a little needlepoint and sewing. So anyway, after a year or so, I could get around without hurting myself. I could read a little braille, and I was knitting and sewing up a storm, so I was getting along okay. But I wasn't doing anything, you know. I had no purpose. And that image, the poor old blind woman who can't do anything but sit in the corner weaving baskets or whatever, is not an image I was comfortable with. Then this amazing thing happened. What? Well, like I told you, I've got a lot of energy. So once I got to knitting, I was knitting with a vengeance. I mean, my living room was covered in afghans and tea cozies and mufflers and whatever popped into my head to make. Everywhere. Honey, there wasn't an inch of that room that didn't have yarn touching it. (laughs) (laughs) So this one day, Bob, my O&M teacher, came over to visit and he just about fainted when he saw all the stuff I'd made. (laughs) He told me they were beautiful and that I should sell them at a crafts fair at this community center nearby. Mm. 
I said, honey, ain't no one gonna pay good money for my physical therapy projects. But he went on about the evenness of the stitches and the flow of the colors and the patterns and... Heck, I was just kind of making it up as I went along. Anywho, to make a long story endless... (laughs) (laughs) You went to the crafts fair. Yep, and honey, every single piece I brought was sold in about a half an hour. That's great. Yep, yep. turns out they had this fair once a month, so I became a regular. And and after a while, I started trying some other mediums. Paper mache, then mosaics, and within about a year, I I made enough money to open up my little shop here. And, And I had several people ask me how to make some of the things I brought to the fair, so a few months after I opened the shop, I decided to do a class. That grew into two, which grew into four. And nowadays, between the classes and the shop, I I don't even have time to go to the crafts fairs anymore. (laughs) So you turned your physical therapy into a nice living. Well, yes. But what matters is what I learned. And what did you learn? First, that I can make things that move people and bring them pleasure. And second, that I'm a teacher. Somehow I'm able to teach people how to express themselves in ways they never knew they could. That's the miracle, honey. That is a miracle, honey. (laughs) It's so (laughs) strange. On the one hand, losing my sight took away flying, which was everything I cared about. On the other hand, it gave me the gift of becoming an artist and a teacher. If I hadn't lost my vision, there's so much I would never have seen. Louise Rumson teaches more than crafts. She teaches expression and determination, not because she's overcome what many would see as a handicap, but because through her art and through her spirit, she manages to take us all a little higher up into the clouds. Come on, everybody, we're back. Time to explore the magic of grouting. (laughs) Hey, it was nice talking to you, honey. You too. For Back in the Swing of Things, I'm Leslie Strobel, KGGN Albuquerque. For a San Francisco restaurant, a good review in the Bay Area Tribune can mean the difference between languishing and thriving. Randall Bonhams has been the restaurant critic for the Bay Area Tribune for the last 15 years, and he joins us from his office in San Francisco. Thank you, David. Nice to be here. Uh, Thank you for joining us, Randall. Uh, San Francisco. Now, it's known as having some of the very best restaurants in the country. Uh, It must be something of a dream city for a restaurant critic. Well, believe me, we get our share of lousy restaurants, but basically... Yes, it is a marvelous city for dining. Now, I notice there's nothing in your byline, or even in your reviews, at least the ones that I've read, that mention your blindness. Well, it, it, it's no secret, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, some readers know, some don't, I, I suppose, mm-hmm. but rarely, my lack of vision rarely impacts the way I feel about a restaurant. Well, now, what about the ambience issues now? Aren't you limited to being able to, to judge that? No, not at all. Like most critics, I usually take a friend or a colleague along with me to a restaurant, and most often that person is sighted. Mm-hmm. And they can describe the decor and the food presentation. Mm -hmm. But remember, David, ambiance is not just how a place looks. No? No, certainly not. In fact, the bigger part of a restaurant's ambiance is how it feels. Mm. How noisy or quiet it is, how comfortable the seats, does it feel crowded or intimate? Mm -hmm. Is the music too loud or too soft? Of course, everything I write about has nothing to do with sight anyway. The flavor and the temperature of the food and the quality of the service is what I write about. Things like that. I see. You're in restaurants a lot. Yeah, I'd say I eat in 10 to 15 restaurants <laughs> during a typical week. So your vision loss doesn't keep you from enjoying dining out. Oh, good heavens, no. Mm-hmm. These days my vision loss doesn't keep me from anything I enjoy. But many people who are who are newly blind are greatly intimidated by going to a restaurant. Oh, sure. They're worried 
worry about everything from how will I know what's on the menu to what mm-hmm. if I knock things over. Yes. These are very real concerns, but mm-hmm. none that a few tips and guidelines can eliminate. And uh, who better to get those tips from than a man who spends so much time in restaurants? Oh, indeed. So, uh, so what's the first one? Well, when you first sit down, take a moment to move your hands lightly across the table. This way you locate your silverware and your glasses, the condiments, and so on. Hmm. And then, this is probably the most important, the one thing that so many people have a hard time with, Mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask for help. Hmm. If you can't locate something on the table, if you drop your napkin, if the ketchup won't flow out of the bottle, even Mm -hmm. if you need help cutting your meat, ask. Ask for any help you may need and accept assistance graciously. Well, I, I guess some people are afraid to be too demanding or afraid to draw attention yeah, to themselves. Yeah, that's true, but it's not about being demanding. Mm-hmm. A restaurant is a service business. They're there to see to your needs, so you should never be afraid to make your needs known. But they're not indentured servants. Come on. Mm-hmm. They should always be treated with respect. Now, now, you mentioned the menu earlier. Yes. Now, obviously, if you're with a sighted friend, they could read the menu to you, but... What if you're by yourself, or there aren't any sighted people in the party? Well, it's not unheard of for a restaurant to have a Braille menu. Really? It used to be pretty rare, but it's less so all the time. Hmm. And, of course, not everyone reads Braille anyway. Mm -hmm. But the chances are your waiter will tell you about the daily specials, and if he doesn't, ask him. And the waiter can also help you read the menu, but try to meet him halfway. Don't ask to read the entire menu. Just choose what kind of thing you're interested in. Mm -hmm. Chicken, fish, salad... And only ask about those things. Okay, so with the waiter's help, you've ordered. Yes. But now the food comes. Right. Uh, what's the best way to approach your meal? Generally speaking, the proper way to serve is with the entree closest to the diner. Think of your plate as a clock, with the meat at 6, the potatoes at 10, and the vegetables at 2, for example. One can actually navigate it rather easily. But these aren't hard and fast rules, right? I mean, what if you prefer to have the potatoes closest to you? I mean, no big social problem there, is that? Oh, yes, it is. Uh-huh. You could be thrown out of the restaurant, barred from dining out. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's an individual thing. Okay. However, it works best for you. One last question. Yeah. And this happens to be a personal pet peeve of mine. <laughs> okay. Salt and pepper shakers. Oh, some yeah. of them you can shake and shake and tap and tap and shake some more, and you get maybe three grains of pepper. Yeah. And you pick up the salt shaker, and before you've turned it upside down, you've got a cup and a half of salt on your eggs. How do you avoid that? Well, that's that's all very simple. You shake the contents into your hand first Hmm. to determine how much comes out. Hmm. And then you use whatever amount you choose from your hand. This is good for all seasonings that come in a shaker, red pepper, uh, garlic for pizza. I even do this with Parmesan cheese for pasta. Great tip. You really saved my eggs. Thanks. Not at all. To me, David, dining out is one of life's greatest pleasures. And using a few tips and tricks like these can easily get you past the challenges that vision loss creates in this situation. Good food with good company, good conversation, the tinkle of glassware, a fine glass of wine, and some tasteful music. To me, that, well, that's just it. Well, thank you, Randall, for sharing it with us today. And thanks for talking with us. My pleasure. Bon appetit. (laughs) Randall Bottoms spoke with us from his office in San Francisco. His restaurant reviews appear weekly in the Bay Area Tribune. New York is another city known for its restaurants. One of the most famous is Tavern on the Green. It's there that USPR reporter Josh McAllister met up with an unusual group of tourists. Tavern on the Green is situated in the middle of Central Park. The Crystal Room looks out onto huge trees filled with thousands of tiny lights. As usual... The restaurant is filled with diners, tourists, and locals alike enjoying the beauty and elegance of one of New York's most famous attractions. But I had no trouble picking Matt James and his group, the sightless seers, out of the crowd. 
Matt has been organizing tours for visually impaired travelers for the last five years. I always loved to travel, mm-hmm. ever since I was a little kid. But my background, my degree was in business. And my first job was working in the administration department of a blind service organization in Washington, D.C. I had never been around blind people before. Mm-hmm. And I saw these people learning how to do all these wonderful things, from shortwave radio mm-hmm. to playing an instrument wow. to ballroom dancing. I even <laughs> met a blind skier. Oh. It never ceased to amaze me, to inspire me, really. Wow, a blind skier. A blind... Amazing. <laughs> uh, seeing these people accomplish things like that, that seemed almost impossible. I mean, a blind skier. And, and, and something else. I noticed that many of the students at the center were fine doing things at the center. But the going outside the center, even for short field trips, mm-hmm. seemed to make them nervous. You know, the center was safe. But to be out in the world in unknown and unfamiliar environments, that right. was still intimidating. I worked with some teachers there and developed a travel training class. From there, it just kind of snowballed. Now, I arrange and lead tours for groups from blind service organizations all over the country. Wow. Where's this group from? Yeah, mostly from a school in St. Louis. Uh, one couple yeah. from uh, Los Angeles. Mm. It's a great group. Uh, you all seem to be having a great time. Yeah, we are. Thank you. You're good. Yeah. Could somebody tell me about what you're learning? Pro. Okay. I'm sorry. Pro? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's me. Is pro short for something? Yes, uh, professor. When, uh, when I was younger, I played harmonica in a touring band, and I was the only one in the band who'd been to college, so they called me professor. Oh. It kind of got shortened to pro, and it just kind of stuck. Okay. Pro. Is this a good experience so far? Oh, boy, the best. Hey, it takes me back. You you know that band I mentioned? We used to tour nine months out of the year, so traveling was part of my everyday life. Losing my sight, well, well, to me, it was like suddenly being wrapped up in this cocoon. I was afraid to do anything, to venture out at all. And taking part in activities at the Blind Service Center, which was very near me, and not being afraid or ashamed... That kind of chipped away a big chunk of that cocoon. And now this trip and, and the tips that Matt is teaching us to make travel easier. Hey, to me, I'm finally bursting out of that cocoon and saying, Here I am, world. A great, big, beautiful, blind butterfly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's marvelous. So, Matt, what are some of these tips? Well, anyone? Plan ahead! <laughs> That's the biggest part. Plan ahead. Know where you're going. Know what attractions you want to see. Anything you can make reservations for in advance, do it. And research your accommodations. Prepare yourself by researching your destination before you plan your trip. Call the airlines ahead of time if you have special requirements. And if you use a guide dog, remember that some places don't allow guide dogs for short visits. You should call your local guide dog school for information on restrictions. Oh, yes, and take advantage of pre-boarding the planes and trains to avoid crowds and obstacles in the aisles. Mm -hmm. And notify them ahead of time. And ask questions. Ask about possible gate changes or departure time changes. If you can't read them on those screens, you could miss a flight. Or bus. If you travel by bus, check out any announcements on your bus. They don't always mention every stop on your route, so tell your driver which stop you want. They're usually very good about telling you when your stop comes up. Ask about discounts. Some amusement parks and places like that give discounts to handicapped people. Good idea. It's a good idea to phone ahead to places or restaurants you want to visit and find out when they're open. Got another one for you. Carry a written itinerary of your trip with your flight numbers and hotel information on it. So if you can't find the gate or you need directions, 
you can ask for help by showing the itinerary to someone else. Carry essentials like money, keys, passport, and an inside pocket, preferably one with a zipper. And take the itinerary Pro was talking about, or, or just a card with your hotel's name and address with you. That way you'll always have the necessities to get to where you want to go. Hey, keep a few ones handy in a pocket for tipping. It's uh, easier than rummaging through your bag or purse, and it's safer, too. And don't forget to carry your cane. Whether you choose to use it for mobility or not, your white cane helps to notify others that you're visually impaired. It's like the staff of Moses. Well, you know, some groups will even allow us to go into the exhibits where they have replicas that we can actually touch and experience what it will look like through touch. It really enhances our sensory perception. Wow. You guys are really good. So, what's your favorite thing about New York? Shopping on Fifth Avenue. The Circle Line cruise around Manhattan. I got to see them trading on Wall Street. What I loved was St. Patrick's Cathedral. On our first day here, we all went together to Ellis Island and the Statue of Liberty. The tour guide was reading the inscription to us. Bring me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free. And I thought, well, gosh, that's just what we're doing. We all experienced that cocoon that Pro talked about, and here we are fighting to break out, be independent, to breathe free. Tonight, Matt and his group are going to see a special described performance of a big Broadway musical. I watched them pile into two horse-drawn carriages outside the restaurant for the trip down to the theater. I don't think I've ever seen anyone breathe freer. And I may be wrong, but it seems to me that those thousands of lights in the trees are shining just a little bit brighter. For USPR, this is Josh McAllister in New York. So far today on Back in the Swing of Things, we've looked at some of America's most popular pastimes, dining, travel, and creative arts. But what about America's number one year-round pastime? This is what going to a movie is like for someone without sight. All boats from brick, all boats from brick. Make them look good. This is the first time they've seen PT boats. That's a scene from the 1945 John Ford film, They Were Expendable, starring Robert Montgomery and John Wayne. Without the visuals, though, it's confusing and difficult to follow. Now, here's the same scene with a descriptive audio track added. All boats from brick, all boats from brick. Make them look good. This is the first time they've seen PT boats. In unison, the PT boats cut a hard turn to starboard. Arcs of water fan out to their port sides. In the tower, two officers peer through binoculars while others shield their eyes from the sun. In the lead boat, Brickley glances around him, then picks up the radio. All boats from Brick, all boats from Brick, nice going. The squinting skipper grabs his radio. Brick from Rusty, that ought to show him. 
Rusty grins. Now, the six boats break out of line and peel off. The water churns with their wakes. In the tower, an officer touches the shoulder of a tall, white-haired officer who peers intently through binoculars. They maneuver beautifully, sir. Two boats parallel one another, slicing through the water at top speed. The descriptive video services track, or DVS, eliminated confusion and got us right into the movie. Descriptive video services, or DVS films, are sometimes shown at special screenings at theaters. Your local blind service organization may have information on these screenings. And now, Turner Classic Movies, a national cable network, shows DVS movies once a week. For moviegoers with vision loss, the only thing that can enhance the experience more than DVS is a large buttered popcorn. And finally tonight, Arthur Haley Wright never dreamed that something she dreaded could end up providing her with an amazing gift. Here, in her own words, is Haley's inspiring story. Wednesday nights were my worst nightmare. From the age of nine to the age of twelve, Wednesday nights filled me with dread. My favorite subject was history. I'd imagine myself as a handmaiden on Cleopatra's barge or wearing an enormous powdered wig in the court of Louis XIV. But on Wednesdays, history was nothing more than monotonous lists of dates and dry, lifeless places. And what was the cause of my clammy hands and gloomy outlook? Did I have to spend six hours in an oxygen tent with knitting-sized needles in my arms due to some rare blood disorder? No, that would have been a picnic by comparison. Was it liver night for dinner? No, I actually like liver. Was I petrified of facing a tyrannical piano teacher unprepared? No, that was Thursday. All of my quakes, my fears, my trauma can be explained in one simple word. Bingo. Wednesday, you see, was my grandmother's bingo night, and for some perverse reason, right around my ninth birthday, familial wisdom decided that I should accompany her. Now, don't get me wrong, I loved my grandma, but being forced to go to bingo with her seemed like the worst thing to happen to me since the school Christmas pageant in first grade when I threw up on the baby Jesus. The bingo caller was a tall, thin man, completely devoid of hair, with oversized glasses that glared in the light of a small stage. I saw him as a big old vulture sitting up there. Looking back, most of these people were probably not much older than I am now, but at the time they seemed like the ancient mariners of my nightmares. And here was I, nine to twelve years old, wanting for nothing more than a simple game of hopscotch. The French vanilla frosting of my discomfort was just how much my grandmother enjoyed herself. She was unapologetic, unshamable, and unusually loud when she was having a particularly good time. She had her bingo satchel, which I was made to carry, filled with multicolored daubers, talismans for luck, and candies for sharing with Claire, the woman who regularly sat beside her, fourth table back on the left, third seat in, and woe to the stranger who unwittingly sat in her spot. The way Grandma explained her ownership of that spot was always met with good-natured laughs, but was mortifying to me. Only slightly less mortifying than when Grandma would start discussing me with her cronies. Always in the third person. Yes, skinny as a rail, isn't she? If she turns sideways and sticks out her tongue, she looks like a zipper. Or you'd never guess she wet the bed until she was seven. Oh my! Grandma was a voracious bingo player. She knew all the games, all the patterns, all the calls, all the subtleties of this not so subtle game. The vulture would turn on the noisy whirring fan that blew the balls around the clear plastic box. Wait for a ball to get sucked up into the tube. Pull it out with a slight pop, and then squeak into the microphone. 
be one, and Grandma would gaily call out, "The baby of bingo!" Were suck pop I twenty two two ducks quack quack. Were suck pop B twelve vitamins. This was my Wednesday night. When I was twelve, I got involved with the youth group at our church, not out of any sudden spiritual hungering, but because they met on Wednesday nights, and I knew it would free me from the bingo chains that bound me. Never again, I thought, to darken the door of the Presbyterian bingo parlor. Grandma started losing her sight when I was a sophomore in college. It dwindled rapidly until two years later she became legally blind. I watched sadly as this vibrant, active woman retreated into herself. She withdrew into her shell, convinced she could no longer do anything and was of no use to anyone. You could barely get her to go outside at all, let alone do anything. And soon, any mention of Grandma at family functions would bring tisks, and someone softly saying, "So sad." I grew into an adult. Cleopatra fantasies gave way to work, taxes, and children of my own, who only knew their great grandmother as this sad, withdrawn woman sitting in the dark. I'd tell them stories of Grandma patiently sitting with me through a beach party movie for the third time, or the tea parties we'd pretend to have with movie stars. Jeremy, my oldest, said, "Tea parties." With that old bat in her cave, come on, Mom.、It、became real important to me for them to understand that this specter in the dark that kind of frightened them had a person living inside. I had to let them get a peek at the woman I loved so much. More importantly, I needed a peek at her. Most important of all, she needed a peek at her. So the next Wednesday night, after a few phone calls and some searching through the attic, I showed up at Grandma's house with my kids. Without a word, I took the well-worn satchel off of Jeremy's shoulder and handed it to her. It took barely a moment for her to recognize the feel of the bag and its contents. Before she could protest, we headed out for that social hall I walked out of almost twenty years before. All the way there, Grandma was filled with doubts. How could she play without being able to see? Would any of her old cronies even be there? I could feel the fear in her hand as we made our way into the hall. The first sight to greet my eyes was the vulture. I couldn't believe he was still there, perched on that stool, the light still glowing off those big glasses. It was as though he hadn't moved from that spot since our last game. There were, of course, many new faces, but there were several familiar faces as well. As we got to her place, a stunning woman with brilliant white hair looked up at us. Emma, she said. Grandma's face and grip softened immediately. Claire. They moved into each other's arms and cried softly, but just for a moment, there were things to do, games to play. Grandma brightened in a way I hadn't seen in years, a way my kids had never seen. In minutes, we watched twenty years melt away. Grandma commandeered my kids to be her eyes and for keeping track of the games. Just as Grandma took a deep breath and said, "All right then," the vulture began calling the first game. The horror and shame-filled Wednesday nights of my childhood were replaced in the next several weeks by cherished and precious hours spent with my grandmother and my kids. The vulture brought out some special bingo aids for people with vision loss. He gave Grandma some large print bingo cards, and he even had some Braille overlay templates so she could mark her cards herself. To my amazement, my kids became as passionate in their love of those Wednesday nights as I had been in my hatred of them. Pretty soon, I was volunteering at the door, checking people in and selling the bingo cards. And every week, as the games got underway, 
those once dreaded, lovingly familiar calls from Grandma would greet my ears, joined now by the voices of my kids. Were suck pop. B12. Vitamins. Were suck pop. I-22. Two ducks. Quack, quack. Were suck pop. B1. The baby of bingo. I guess Wednesdays aren't so bad after all. Haley Wright's new book, It's the Applesauce, Stupid, is in bookstores now. You know, Noah, Haley told me that her kids like bingo night so much that they now have their own games night with Grandma on Fridays as well. They have large print and Braille cards for card games, tactile Scrabble with both the tiles and the board marked with Braille dots, and a Chinese checkers game with pegs that have different shapes on the top so that they can be identified by feel. I'll bet Grandma's a demon pinochle player. <laughs> no doubt. And that's our special report back in the swing of things. Many thanks to our correspondents, to the people in their stories, and to you for listening. For tonight, that's Open Topics. I'm David Clare. And I'm Noah Jefferson. You're listening to USPR, United States Public Radio. Good night. You've been listening to Getting Back into the Swing of Things, one of the audio tapes in the series, Sound Solutions. We hope you found the information helpful for you your family, and friends. These tapes are available free of charge from Braille Institute, a private, nonprofit organization committed to eliminating blindness and severe sight loss as a barrier to the fulfillment of life. Sound Solutions was made possible by the generosity of the H.N. and Francis Berger Foundation, the Fritz B. Burns Foundation, and from thousands of individuals. If you would like more information about anything you heard in this tape, about other tapes in the series, or about Braille Institute, please call our toll-free number, 1-800-BRAILLE. That's 1-800-272-4553. Thank you for listening to Braille Institute's Sound Solutions.